us to read together from the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul's message to the leaders at Ephesus, when he says this in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Why can he, how can he say that? I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Because he says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will, or as King James says, counsel of God. Goes on and says, keep watch of yourselves, over yourselves, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you episcopos or overseers. Be poimain or be shepherds of God's church, of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that I have for, for three years, I've never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And then he went on and preached the, the rest of that message. So we've looked at uh, and we're looking at the subject of a whole Bible theology of church, both local and translocal. We've covered three of those aspects that I was talking about that we need to incorporate into this whole Bible theology. The first was the message we preach. The second was the mandate. And the third is the mission. And we're going to pick up now on the fourth one, the fourth part of that. And to have, in order to have a whole Bible the, uh, theology on church, both local and translocal, we have to re-examine the model that we're presenting to people. The model has to be apostolic prophetic. Now, I've said quite a lot in the last few teachings about apostolic prophetic, so I don't want to repeat too much of that, but I want to add to things that I never had a chance to say uh, earlier in those earlier teachings. God wants the church to be a going, not a gathering, a giving, not a getting, an ascending and not a staying church. That's what he wants. That's the mandate. But it has to be through the legitimate channels that God has pro provided for us in government, the government of God in and through the life of the church uh, at every level. So Christian leaders, uh, and I hope you understand this, and I hope you'll make a note of this and learn it, get it into your hearts and ask God to help you to make this real for you and for your people. Christian leaders are called to help God's people to do a few things. Christian leaders are called to help God's people to discover, to develop in, to demonstrate, and to delight in a New Testament, Kingdom of God, Word of God, apostolic, prophetic culture. We need to develop a culture. And you and I as leaders are called by God to help God's people, first of all, to discover that, that culture. Secondly, to develop in it. It's an ongoing, growing, year by year, day by day, month by month, week by week, hour by hour, hopefully minute by minute, to develop in and then to delight, enjoy, delight in, to enjoy, not to grit our teeth and make out like it's a hard burden, but to delight in. Yes, there are hardships, but to serve God is the greatest privilege and delight that is possible to man here on earth. And that's what we'll be doing for all of eternity in heaven, serving God in worship, praise, 
adoration, whatever else. So we're there to, to discover, to develop in, to demonstrate, to delight in a New Testament. We've got to demonstrate it to a New Testament, Kingdom of God, Word of God, Apostolic, Prophetic Culture. This is going to include the following few things. I'm going to try to just touch a few things here. God wants us to, He wants to, in the church, in our discovery of this, He wants us to understand that the things that we have lost that He wants to, us to recover, the restoration of things that were lost, and also the restoration of the most needed thing, which I don't think I can spend too much time on now, but that is the presence and power of God in Bible manifestation. God in our midst, working in and through us, demonstrating, as Paul says, it wasn't just by word of mouth, with the words I said, but it was a demonstration of the, the Spirit's power. Where people are converted and stand and transformed in the meetings, changed day by day. God wants that, but coming back to that which was stolen. A lot of churches around the world, what has been stolen is the the recognition of apostles and prophets. We've written them off as that was pre the Bible days, but God still wants apostolic prophetic ministries, uh, ap uh, the Ephesians ministries in the church today. Uh, they part of the foundation. And the foundation that God wants to restore into the church is the foundation of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. You know that. Secondly, the word of God is also the, the Matthew 7, 24 onward, the, 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 the wise and the foolish builders building on the rock and building on the, on, on the, 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 the shifting sand. There, while we know Jesus is the rock, that there is talking about the word of God being the rock. For he says, the person that hears my word and does what I says, but is like the man who built a house upon the rock, puts into practice what the word of God says. And then we have this other part of the foundation of the church, and that is the apostles and prophets, uh, which is Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Uh, every local church, while retaining its autonomy, must relate to an apostolic prophetic team. We've got all sorts of substitutes now for that, boards and committees and denominational heads and whatever else may be. And while I don't believe most of those things came about as intentionally, God is wanting to restore biblical pattern to the church again. And so we've got to remember that the local church elders are the highest human authority in the church. No one can come in from outside and just take over. There's no higher authority, human authority in the local church than the elders. They are the highest but that church, through its eldership, must be linked with an apostolic prophetic team where they are, to whom they are accountable and who they work with into the nations and the fulfilling of the great the fulfilling of the Great Commission. In other words, through teams. Local autonomy must always be held as a higher priority. Therefore, we must resist anything that would try to even have a hint of mother church mentality or superstar ministry anything that hinders local autonomy but that local autonomy must be held linked closely bound into by the spirit of god's working the translocal so that churches can't just walk away when somebody on the eldership gets offended by something they say or do but that this there is such a link with that 
apostolic prophetic ministry through the eldership into the life of the church, where they have exposure to the team, where they find commitment from the church to the team. I've just seen too many churches just walk away because they either the guy wanted to be the superstar himself or they didn't like something or the other that was has no biblical relevance. And so there has to be this linking to apostolic team and apostolic team to local church and, and, and local church eldership that has living reality in it. So God is wanting to restore that. An apostolic prophetic culture. Now, remember that I've said so often that apostolic is giving, not go, uh, is going, not uh, g gathering, etc. But it's also that if, if, you, if you look at, um, well, let me just give this to you because of time. I've written this down. I'm sure I picked this up from someone else and injected some of my own understanding of it into this. So I could, don't know who to give credit to for this. But it's kind of a definition. It's not quite a definition, but for lack of a better word, to try and explain what I mean about, about apostolic. It's the gifted translocal team ministry working into existing churches, planting new ones, and keeping the wider implications of our call in perspective. That is, working together, uh, the local and the translocal, at every level. Um, it also, maybe I'll move on and say, what, just add a little to my, my, my understanding of the prophetic too. Not only is it the ability to see the future, uh, prepare for the future and become the future, but it, it, it's also where God says in Amos 3.7, I will do nothing without first revealing it to, to the prophets. So to be prophetic is those that God is showing what he wants to do. And we know how to interpret that. I think I've said this in one of the other uh, messages, that we've got to be like the sons of Issachar, that we're able to discern the times and know what to do. What God's people, Israel in those days, us today, know what to do. So it's the Acts 2, 29-31, seeing the future, uh, what was lying ahead. He, David spoke. But it's also living in the challenge and the, uh, the tension of perpetual change. The, the, the Matthew 9, 17 wineskin, a flexible wineskin that God can keep pouring whatever he wants. In. And we're not so rigid now. We've got our little, this is how we do it. But we're saying, God, it's always open to change. It's always open to be flexible so that you can keep pouring your spirit into this wineskin of the local church and this wineskin of the translocal church. So we, we need to be living in that tension. And so just kind of to encourage you, I, I honestly believe that God wants to bring and he wants to and he can heal, adjust and enlarge throughout the whole meeting time. It's not just when we finish the meeting and we make altar calls. We need a, an apostolic prophetic culture shows that God is, in perpet, is bringing about perpetual change even while the word of God is being preached. So God wants to heal us, to adjust us and enlarge us throughout the whole meeting time and not just the altar call. Part of that will mean we're to keep people free. Never bring them into bondage. Not ever. Not even through a call to commitment and consecration. God in Exodus chapter 1, 2, 3, 5, 7, 8, 9, and 10, he said, let my people go, that they may worship me and me alone. So we've got to be careful when we're calling for commitment, that it's commitment to Christ, 
not coerced by human words and methods, but by the Holy Spirit operating through our lives. That's why leaders need to be anointed to be leaders. Preachers need to be anointed before they preach, not just preaching what they see as truth by the power of, of just their own energy or whatever else is operating through them. It has to be by the Spirit of God. And so we've got to live in the freedom, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free. And then this whole aspect of becoming a prophetic apostolic culture and the restoration of God wants to do. He's wanting to restore organic life and replace what we've got now as organized church life. Churches have become organizational. They organize everything from the start of the meeting to the end of the meeting. They're so predictive. God wants it to be organic where the spirit can blow as he pleases. The wind blows where he pleases. You can hear the sound thereof, but you don't know where it's come from or where it's going. That's what God wants us to get back to, where we are not, we are organic. And so, uh, so some of just little few things about the organic. This is really a message on its own that I can't preach now. But organic, the, to be organic, it means that we recognize that some things that take place in our church and what we begin to move into, some things are only for a season. They're not there forever. And secondly, to be organic, we realize that team, team is so important because some sow some uh, water, but only God can give the, the increase. Growth comes from God, not from an individual. And God wants us to, he wants to restore the genuine function, anointing relationships within an eldership and a deacon team. Next thing about organic life is that it realizes from the heart, not just here, from the heart and lives in this, that promotion can only come from God. It doesn't come from the, the, the north or the south. It comes from God. Psalm 75 verse 6. Organic life also means that every subculture that we've developed in the church, and we've got all sorts of subculture, the way we, we worship, what we call worship, how we do things, all these things become subcultures that every subculture we've developed in the church must be both repented of and broken. Every single cult subculture. Those things that are not in the Word of God that we've now made mandatory and the way we do them. We've organized it. Next thing is organic life catches, embraces and accommodates the momentum of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't give in to the preferences, the prejudices, the fears, or the comfort zones of the people. It's flexible, embracing God-inspired, spirit-directed, biblical change. It's willing to be stretched. And so many of the symbolisms of the, of the Holy Spirit and the life of God and the Word of God demand and convey organic life. Wind. The wind blows where it pleases. John chapter 3, verse 0. It changes direction. That's what it likes. Rain. The former and the latter rain, the Bible talks. Sometimes it's gentle. Sometimes it's torrents and floods. But it always causes growth. Water. The Jeremiah 17. Uh, the, the river that flows. Uh, John 6. Uh, John 8, etc. Fire. Organic again. That cleanses and warms. Oil, refueling, lubricating, rivers, 
the John 4.17, the Ezekiel 47, the Revelation 21, wine and wineskins, Matthew chapter 9, sparkling, effervescent, intoxicating, flexible, accommodating, bringing joy, the new birth, John 3.3, all of these things, and there's so much more in the Word of God, they demand organic life. And then we have to look at the nature of the church. And I've covered that in other parts, but we must see that and demonstrate the whole of what the Scripture talks about when it talks about church. And I've covered that in a previous message. And so we come towards the end now, towards the end, its means. We're moving on now to its means, which I think is the fifth point. What are the means? How's God going to do this through a radical new prototype of believer? People that are measuring everything against the Word of God. People that are not just born again, but are truly under Christ's leadership. And love enables us to prioritize. Read Acts 6, 1-6, how they prioritize their lives. So we need to become a brand new breed of believer. Where we stop saying, well, it worked there for some other people. It sounds like a good idea, but say doesn't fit up, line up with the Word of God, we're not going to do it. It does line up with the Word of God. We don't like this, but we're going to do it nonetheless. And then it's modus operandi. It's to learn the ways of God. And God has ways. And we need to learn His ways. To be word-based. The Bible plus nothing, the Bible minus nothing. To be organic, as I've talked about. To be team. No individuals or superstars. And by the Spirit of God, who is the indispensable agent... We cannot do without Him. The Holy Spirit, without Him, nothing that we do will last or stand the test of time. God has principles, not ways. And we need to know His ways. Exodus 33, 13, Psalm 18, 30, Psalm 25, verse 4, verse 9 to 10, verse 12, Job 23, 10 to 12. All about teaching us His ways. And His ways aren't like our ways as Isaiah 55, 8 says. So His ways are in the Word of God. And once we know the way, we must give God, from the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, revelation, we must give God some time to teach us how to apply it. Like the example we have of the woman at the well, taken in adultery in John chapter 8, verses 1 through to 11. We know that from, Jesus knew this, Leviticus chapter 20, Deuteronomy, verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 12 said, that adulterers were to be stoned. Jesus knew that. But Jesus knew there was an application that the Spirit of God would give. And we know what he did in helping that woman. And Jesus applies this differently in John chapter 8, verses 7 through to 11. He's, he, 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 from, he operates from the seat of mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, not law, bigotry, hypocrisy, self-righteousness. And that's what God wants to do in and through us. Uh, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through to 6 for yourself, we'll see the letter kills. So many people take the Bible and they kill people with it, but the Spirit gives life. And that demands intimacy and revelation. Quickly moving on, our time's almost gone. It's ministers, everyone. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God's desire for His Old Testament people was, You will be to me a kingdom of priests. And you will be a holy nation. That was in Exodus. In Isaiah chapter 61 verse 6, God says you will be called priests of the Lord, ministers 
of God. That was all of God's people in the Old Covenant, but they fouled up. And so we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through to 9, and Hebrews chapter 11. If you look at verses 11 through to 15, you'll see there was a change in the, the priesthood. And while it was to be Levitical in those Old Testament times, it became through Judah, the tribe of Judah, in Jesus, Hebrews 7, 11 to 25. So we need everyone. We need leaders, elders, deacons, apostolic prophetic ministry, and all of God's people being priests. And then we, we, we come quickly to the, uh, the second last one. It's meetings. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 5, 19, uh, Colossians 3, 16, Acts 2, 1 to 13. All of these are uh, scriptures that I trust you'll go back and have a, another look at. Let God speak to you. But where were its meetings? Its meetings were everywhere in the life and through the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And that should be for us too. They, they met in houses. They met on the seashore. They met by a river. They met on, met on, on streets, in homes, etc. And so it has to be for us. They have to be everywhere. But the meetings also need to be flexible. Read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. You'll see how flexible. They need to be organic, not structured, but free. They need to be spontaneous. They need to be simple. They need to be covenantal. I want to read this little thing to you, and I just hope I have the time to get to this last one in the session. But I, this is such an important thing. I read maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was by a man called um, Mark Baddison. It's very short. He calls this the buzz factor. And the buzz factor has five little things in it. He says, thou shalt hang out at Wells. The John 4, hang out at Wells. That's the before Christ version of coffee houses, malls, etc. Thou shalt talk about towers, the Tower of Siloam, to, uh, and talk about tragedies, real life issues. Thou shalt not wash hands. In other words, not conform to religious traditions, orthodox in, in belief, but not necessarily in practice. He says, thou shalt preach from boats. In other words, different opportunities, uh, like in 1928, John Wesley preached when he, he went against the Church of England, Canon, and preached in parks and homes. And thou shalt offend Pharisees, in other words, daring to be different, being willing to be criticized from the religious establishment. Jesus didn't get def defensive or apologetic, he says. He loved prostitutes, healed on the Sabbath, hung out with tax collectors. So it's meetings. And then the last little thing, and I've covered this in more depth in the last session or the session before, it's motives. Absolutely love. All our works will be examined. And the only thing that stands is that which is done out of love. You can read for yourself uh, 1 Corinthians 13, etc., See, wrong motives must be put to death. John 13, 35. Greater has love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. So, will you? Will I? Will we start out? Will we change today? And will we keep at it? A whole Bible, everything in it, from Genesis to Revelation, preach it, practice it, live life. Me alone, 
and the church I represent, all of us, living our whole Bible theology, both local and church, uh, local and um, translocal. May the Lord help us to do that. And again, we pray for your help, Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that we may glorify you and that you may glorify the, the Father. Father, help us to live in the comfort, in the love and the care and all the promises you've given to us as our loving Heavenly Father. Our how much more shall your Heavenly Father, Father, in Jesus' name, your blessing on all your people and thank you for your great love and the privilege you have of ministering for you in so many wonderful ways around the world. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. God bless you.